Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 198 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we talked about what law students are taught and maybe what they should be taught about legal technology during law school. That episode actually surfaced some questions Tom and I have had for a long time on teaching technology to lawyers. And one word, Tom and I actually do have some different opinions. For listeners who think that Tom and I agree too much on the podcast, strap yourself in. It'll be a full-on debate in this episode. Tom will, as usual, declare himself the winner at the end, but we'll definitely make you question some of your current assumptions during the process of this debate. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be debating, I guess, uh, how best to teach tech to lawyers. Uh, in our second segment, we've got another question from one of our great listeners. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, um, a debate... I guess it's going to be a debate about teaching technology. In August, Gregory Bephythus, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, Bephythus or Bephythus, I don't know. I'm sorry if I butchered the name, but, but he published a blog post uh, called How to Run a Technology Conference, where uh, he discusses uh, where conferences like Legal Tech and ILTA need to move out into the wider tech world. And, and it got me thinking, and I talked to Dennis and we agreed to talk about it in this podcast, it got me thinking about a couple of things. First, how technology has expanded so much that it's hard to cover everything in an average legal technology conference. And then second, how all of this new technology stuff that while it's probably important for lawyers to know about, it's still not as important as focusing on training lawyers on the basics of technology competence, which is my opinion on the subject. Now, Dennis thinks we're going to have opposing viewpoints on this, but I'm not completely sure, but I'll play along. So, Dennis, um, are you prepared to lose this debate? Actually, I'm a little less prepared to lose than the way you originally framed the debate, which was that whether it's best to learn about the cutting-edge stuff that is important but that 97% of lawyers never touch, uh, which you were going to give this side to me, uh, and rightly so. Oh, we're still or, talking about this. Or learning the boring but critical tech we use every day with our clients. And so I, I think your your framing right now is, is actually kind of a little less antagonistic than the, the original uh, framing. But um, I don't know if I'm prepared to lose this debate, but I'm prepared to make people question their their assumptions about it. When I think about learning the basics, I guess what I've really started to struggle with over the last five years or so is that uh, lawyers have had a darn long time to learn the basics. And some of us have really gone out and, and done that. And so it's time to, to move forward. And I, I don't know if, if uh, you know, if you're still learning the basics, that that's how helpful that really, really is um, in, in a number of different ways. Because I think you got to get up to where your clients are and where the practice is these days and where the practice is, is moving to. So I think it's, I think the training 
on on basic skills is great. I just don't know that I want to go uh, to a conference where I'm just going to learn some basic skills. I want to be challenged, and I want to see what the many things that are going on, and then then determine what makes the most sense for me. It sounds to me like you're saying that since lawyers have had years to learn the basics, that okay, we're done. We declare defeat and let's move on. And I, that's is where I do strongly disagree. Is that lawyers still need to learn the basics? I think as we're recording today, the 28th state in the union has put written into their their ethics rules the duty of technological competence. I kind of compare this to teaching employees at my client corporations that information governance is important and the response is invariably, but I've got a day job. I don't have time to think about this. I just don't have time to deal with any of it. And frankly, just like information governance, technology is an integral part of a lawyer's day job. If you're going to do it right, you need to learn the technology. And I, I know this isn't a very satisfying answer or a very, but but you've got to keep trying. I, I, I think that just by saying that lawyers have had years to learn the basics doesn't mean that they've actually gone out and done it. It haven't been, whatever they've done, whether it's nothing or something, it's not successful. I agree completely with that thing. It hasn't been successful, but I don't think that's a reason to give up. Well, I guess I've sort of lost my patience with people who say, you know, I can't learn this basic stuff and I, I need all this help with it because, I mean, you went to law school, you learned a lot of stuff, you learned stuff, you know, new legal principles, you learn how to try cases, you learn to do all those things. I don't think technology needs to be that different. And then I also go back to the thing of like, if I'm going to a conference and I'm trying to, I'm being taught basic technology. I, I think I just really s struggle with that because it's hard to retain that stuff. You know, typically you're in a panel or something. I don't think that's, I mean, I'll go into this later, but I don't think it's the right way to, to learn things. And also, I think it decontextualizes technology. So I, I think you you learn best when you say, here's what the technology can be used for. What's the context? What problem am I trying to solve? And where does technology fit into that? You know, what's the benefit of that? And then once I get that understanding and I see what other people are doing and how they're winning cases and how they're satisfying their clients and how this technology can make things easier and better, then I get motivated to learn the basics. I think if you tell me, oh, I need to learn how to do new things in Word or I need to do learn Excel so I can do spreadsheets, I think that's really difficult. Same way I would say, if you say I need to learn basic PowerPoint skills, you know, maybe, but but I think if, if what I have in front of me is like, how do I make a great presentation on this topic I care about to an audience I care about, and PowerPoint is a way to do that, I think you're going to go out and learn those skills yourself. So it sounds to me like it's more of an issue of motivation than anything else. It's not about the fact that people aren't. And, I, and I'll, I'll come back and I, I disagree with – I personally disagree with the notion that lawyers are saying, I can't learn this. I, I mean, there are probably some out there who say, I just can't. Technology is beyond me. I'll never understand it. And, I, and uh, I've, worked, I've worked with uh, more than a few of them. And, uh, but I would, I would argue that the vast majority are going to say – 
I don't want to, or I don't have time, and that it's not a I can't. There's definitely the I can'ts out there, but I think that it's more of a I just don't have time for this silliness. You know, either somebody do it for me, or I'm just going to do the best that I can. I totally agree with you that the best motivation is finding out how it will benefit you personally and and it will help you solve a problem or get you to a point that you need. But frankly, I mean, and, and maybe we'll talk about this later, I'm not sure that technology conferences, well, actually, that may actually get to my point, which is that technology conferences can help solve that particular issue, but maybe not train you on how to do that. I think more on that a little bit later. Let me circle back real quick to what I think is my my central argument that may have gotten you going and, and thinking that we were complete opposites on this. And and my my thinking, part of my thinking for this session, for this episode, was that as we've been planning Tech Show 2018, I have realized that there are so many new things that lawyers really need to know about artificial intelligence, blockchain, cybersecurity, that it feels like a legal technology conference can only be exciting if it's including large amounts of content on these cutting-edge topics. And I think I do think that it's really critical that lawyers have awareness of these topics, knowing that it's out there, knowing that it's a real thing is important. But at the same time, and I think I mentioned this on the last podcast, I would argue that the vast majority of practicing lawyers out there either don't need or have no use for artificial intelligence or blockchain in their current practice and what they're going to do. Why should we have session after session about being able to create your own bot when most lawyers won't be creating their own bot in their own practice for years if they're ever doing that? Instead, I think that, and and part of my argument and reason for this episode was, I think that most technology conferences really would be better off focusing most of their content on topics that provide real, practical, implementable solutions. And that tends to be the basics because it's not, in most parts, you know, very complicated technology that's going to help a lawyer solve the problem that you were just trying to describe. Well, I think I'll go back again to context there. But I think that my feeling when you go to the advanced topics, those sort of key trends and all of those things, I agree that you don't need to know a lot. I don't know that it makes sense at this point to say, oh, there's going to be three, four sessions on blockchain that the average you know, conference attendee would go to. No, say you're the solo and small firm tech conference. I don't think that makes sense. What I do think makes sense is that I have the opportunity to go to a session that says, hey, here's what's coming down the road. And you just need to know a little bit about this stuff. And if one of these things interests you, here's a way that you can learn more about it. But here's what's coming, you know, and then you can deal with it. Then I also think why I go to the context thing is that I know when I was in the tech show board, People still laugh about how I want to do a session on how to set up your own home office. and But I think it's the things like that where you say, here's a context. I think you people get really interested in that. So if you're able to say, hey, I want to work out of a coffee shop, and I can go to a session that tells me, hey, here's how you do it. Here's how you take care of security. Here's what the, you know, why we'd use a tablet, why you'd use a laptop, you know, what are the things to look out for, whether you want to put a filter on your screen. I think that's all interesting in the context. If you say to me, 
here's some basics of cybersecurity, I think it gets decontextualized and it becomes harder to see how that works for you because maybe a lot of it doesn't really work for you. And you start to go, oh, that's big firm stuff. That's, you know, that doesn't apply to me. When in fact it does, if you understand the context. Well, I think that's going to be... I think that's going to be the fault of the speaker. That's the fault of the presenter who isn't able to contextualize it in a way that makes sense to probably the majority of the audience. You got to know your audience. You got to know who you're speaking to and what their needs might be, um, or else you're right. You wind up with a session that's that's right like that. I mean, I think that I guess I want to come back to the notion of the type because what this has made me really think about is really what is the purpose of a technology conference. Why do we have them in the first place? If people don't learn the basics from them, if we have so many topics these days, I mean, I'm, I'm genuinely concerned. We're going to have a, at Tech Show next year, we're going to have people come out and say, why didn't we hear about this? Why didn't we hear about that? Well, the reason is it's so hard to cover a conference and all of these things. Uh, I, I'm really starting to question the true purpose of a technology conference when we talk about this. I think that good learning, and if you're really going to learn, then it has to be more experiential. It has to be more hands-on. You know, one of the things we will be doing at, at Tech Show is doing more hands-on training. But I'm also going to say that I think that that type of experiential and hands-on training is harder at a technology conference than it would be in smaller groups or in classes that you would take on your own wherever you happen to be. Because for that hands-on process, you need more resources. Um, you need to be able to only accommodate a certain number of people. You can't really do hands-on if you've got 500 people in a room doing things. It's just you know logistically really difficult to do that. And so I think that I'm going to kind of give you my take on what I think a legal technology conference ought to be in just a second. It's nothing magical or revolutionary, but I, I mean, I think it's harder to do the hands-on type stuff. Dennis, talk to me a little bit more about kind of what you think about some of the formats that we've been talking about, panels and, and experiential hands-on or trying to solve a problem. Yeah, I mean, okay, so my history goes back to the, the whole unconference notion and, you know, are there ways that you can get people to work together on things. And now I feel that for me going to a conference, I actually want to work rather than just sit back and, and take notes and have panels that are rushed for time. And, you know, I'm not sure exactly what's going on. And at the end, I'm not sure what they wanted me to learn or what I was supposed to learn. So I really like this notion of saying, what if we did things that were more like a problem-solving approach? I mean, even like the simple things, you go, hey, you're in a small firm and you, you need to set up a network. Like, how? okay, that's the problem. How do you solve that? And then kind of walk through that. I mean, that that's interesting to me. So I like, um, wait, let me interrupt you on that. So I like that concept, but if you're talking to, about a lawyer who doesn't have any experience with setting up a network, they're not really working. They can't participate in it because they don't have the frame of reference or the experience to be able to talk to you about that, right? Well, no, I, I think that you, so you have the constraint of time and people. So if I'm at that session, I may not have something to contribute, but I learn a lot from the questions that get asked and the processes involved in in figuring out how to do this. And, I, and so I think that sort of 
you know, whether it's simulation or whether it's uh, something that you're trying to walk through a fact pattern or, or whatever, but there's a problem that's solved and you see how the different ways you might solve it. And it kind of goes to how technology is presented, obviously, because if you're saying, okay, here's, you know, like the standard PowerPoint slides with bullet points on it, you know, that's not going to work so well. But if you say, let's engage people and let's find out what people are thinking and, and, you know, get people's reaction to that. It's a lot harder to do as a presenter, but I think it becomes, you know, a more effective thing. And like I said, I just like facilitated things. You don't always get as much out of them as, as you might hope, but I kind of like the fact that I come to a place and I can interact with people and meet people and we can try things. And I actually do a little work rather than just sitting back and taking notes. I totally agree that a more interactive, a more, you know, solving a problem focus, uh, a more engaged panel rather than just having a lecture or a panel sitting there and trading, you know, stories and things like that is always going to be a lot more productive and a lot more fruitful. But I will still come back with this challenge is, is and we'll use your example of how to set up a network, is that I'm still not confident that that session on how to set up a network, that the lawyer who attends it is going to be able to go back to their office and boom, set up a network. And that's where I think that to a certain extent, we're trying to solve a problem that can't be solved, uh, not the way that we think it can be solved anyway. So that's kind of why, I, as I've been thinking about this question, I've been thinking maybe we're either asking the wrong questions or we're looking for the wrong answers. But let me pause for a second and say, you know, if you read this blog post that kind of was my inspiration for talking about this, what did you think about that? I mean, did you... Um, did you agree with what he said? What were your thoughts about his concept about how to run a legal conference or technology? I mean, I, it was really I, how to run a technology conference. Yeah, I mean, I like to. There are a lot of ideas I liked, and some of the things he said he thought should be covered, I totally agreed with. And then, you know, from my experience on Tech Show Board and with other conferences and yours as well, Tom, I, there's part of the suggestions where you're going like, oh my God, there's just not enough money in the world to accomplish some of these things. And, you know, trying to deal with uh, hotels and other venues and the, the lead time you have to have on all this stuff. I was thinking that you were saying like, oh, here are all these things you need to cover next year for Tech Show. And the people are going to say, why don't you cover this or that? And the fact is that you have to freeze topics so far in advance that that's been an issue for, you know, like years and years, you know, and sometimes we do an amazing job of guessing what the hot topic is and people think you're brilliant. And the next year people go like, oh my God, how could you miss X or Y technology? So I think there were a lot of great ideas. I just struggled with the practicality of some of the ideas, but some of the things that... You know, they, they just make sense. Like there are things about having snacks and drinks and stuff like that. And I just think like at Tech Show, the hotels we've been, like what, how expensive and how difficult it is to do those simple things that you would say, oh, it'd be great if you had this sort of normal engagement, you know, in a conference. So that was that was sort of my reaction. There were some things I kind of chuckled about, but I, I liked the idea. And, and as you know, Tom, anything that gets closer to this unconference notion of saying, like, how can we get people talking, you know, in, in a relaxed way 
um, where they learn from each other, make friendships, follow up. So if you go back to our example of setting up a network, I think you're right if you say the goal of it is that somebody, a lawyer goes into a session and can go back to his office and set up a network. If that's the goal, I, I think it's a fail. But I think if the goal is more to say, if I can be walked through this and learn what's involved, then I can say, does this move from something that seems impossible to something that seems possible? Is it worth the effort? Can I bring somebody in? What are the benefits? You know, those sorts of things. So I can say, it probably doesn't have to be me doing it. And I don't know that I can learn enough in 50 minutes to do that anyway, but I may learn how to assess what the problem is and whether it's something that I can put on my list of things to actually do because it's not as difficult as a project as I've made it out to be in my mind. Ah, and it turns out we almost completely agree about this subject. But I want to focus on the blog post real quick and talk about it because I actually liked a lot of the ideas there too. I will say that many of them didn't have anything to do with actual content out there. I mean, they, they had a lot to do with the vendor experience and the attendee experience away from the educational content. I'll just say that for those of you who are listening, if you've never put on a conference before, be aware that coffee costs $140 a gallon so that when you question why coffee is taken away after certain times of the morning, that is why, because it is expensive, expensive to have coffee. That's an outrageous thing. Just the cost of food at hotels is really a ripoff, and being able to find new and interesting ways to uh, to have conferences without that restraint is really, I think, where we need to be headed. But I'm going to say, I'm going to come back to my original argument. He talks about the importance of stepping outside the closed legal technology bubble and learning about new technologies. And, and he uses an example, for example, of hearing a speaker from U.S. Cyber Command on how the Pentagon has to clear 65,000 people through various entrances and security levels in three hours every day. No question that's an interesting topic. Fascinating. I would love to hear exactly how that happens. But that's the plenary. That's a session that I hear because I want to hear how things work out there. I'm not there to learn anything about it. I'm not going to learn anything about it. And so if I can borrow a phrase from you, Dennis, what are we hiring this legal technology conference to do? What do we want it to do? And, and I think that's a hard question to answer. So here's my not-so-radical, radical thought, because you've kind of already co-opted it for your own, which is I don't want to think about technology conferences as a... I'll call it, a, I don't want to say it's not a learning experience because there can be learning that happens at a technology conference. Maybe let's say that it's not a, a training experience. They do not exist for you to learn how to do something with technology. Now, if you come away with some practical knowledge and some hands-on experience, that's great. But I'll make the argument that maybe that they're not how-to conferences and they shouldn't be how-to conferences. But what if we say that they should be important for showing you what you should be learning about? And like you said, that on a specific topic, how to set up a network in your firm. Here are the ways to do it. Here are the security issues you need to think about. Here are the skills you need to have, the tools you need to have, the expertise you have. Now go out and learn about them. And that gives you that option to say, you know what, this is something that is a priority for my firm. This is something I need to do right now. I either don't have the time to learn about it myself and I'm going to hire somebody to do it, or 
there are tons and tons of online webinars and tutorials and training sessions and local stuff that your you know local stores have training. The library has tons of training. There's lots of training out there that you can get on a local basis for the basic stuff. You know, you talk about Dennis about an unconference, and I think that for solving certain types of problems, an unconference is a great idea for learning how to format the Excel spreadsheet to pass Casey Flaherty's tech skills audit, an unconference is miserable. It's not a good experience. It's what are you hiring the conference to do? And so I, you know, you can have your sessions about cyber command and blockchain, but you can also spend a lot of time making lawyers aware of the basics. So they can take this information and go and deepen their knowledge and really deepen it because you can't do it at a two and a half day conference. And I guess I'm sucking all the joy out of legal technology conferences when I talk about it this way. I don't think I am. I think there's ways to present the basics in a way that's exciting, interesting, motivating. I mean, anybody who has ever seen Baron Henley talk about styles in Word will definitely agree that it is a transformative experience. So it is possible to do that. And so we're talking about having speakers who actually can present in ways that are inspirational and motivational. And I'll say that the networking and social aspect of a technology conference should be at least as important as any learning that you have. And that's often the most exciting and energizing part of a technology conference, I think, to begin with. So, I mean, that's that's kind of where I come at this, is that I don't feel like technology conferences should worry so much about training lawyers as preparing lawyers to be trained. Yeah, I, I, I want to agree with you on, on most of that, but I, I'm kind of struggling these days with a, a couple of things. So the general conference, is, which is part of the blog post, the concern, you know, is it time that the conferences become much more specific or get divided up? So I think that that's that's one question that you have to think about. So wouldn't because I know I would be happier at a more specialized conference these days, even though I love, as you know, the general conferences, but I'm not typically going to a lot of sessions. I'm just just meeting lots of people. I also think the layout is really important. I mean, I love going to conferences where there's a great, you know, if it's in a hotel, there's a great lobby with places you can sit and meet people. So you have that. And then then also I think the conferences are competing with, uh, you know, podcasts, just-in-time audio, video learning. So you get the stuff that you want when you need it. You get the speakers that you want to learn from. And that's out there as well. So I, I think that education on technology will take many different forms. And I think the the live technology conference, which which I love, has to change. We've we've talked about in connection with with any technology conference that if you do the same thing every year, you're going to become irrelevant really quickly. So you have to try new things, and so I always think you have to keep trying things. And there are some things in that blog post that are worth trying, you know, as an experiment. And some will work and some some won't. You just have to keep trying. So I think that uh, I, I, I still come back to this thing. I, I think you got to give people like ideals and goals to strive for and something that's inspiring at a conference. And whether that comes in the keynote, whether it comes in sequencing the conference so you learn basics and build on that to the end where you, you really feel like you've accomplished something, I think that all those things help, but I, I think that inspiration piece and the cohesion of a conference is sometimes missing. And, and so that's what I'd like to see um, as we go forward in, in, in the legal tech conference world. 
You know, I, I had a couple of responses to that, but I have to say that's probably a great way to end this. So let us end the subject on that. I'll go ahead and declare a victory anyway, and let's move on to the second segment. Before we move on to that segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Our audience question this week is a very practical one, and it's one that Tom and I have faced many times, uh, especially when we're in law firms. Remember, we now have a voicemail number that Tom will give you at the uh, the end of the podcast for you to ask us our questions for this segment. And any question from the audience is fair game. So here we go with our, our question for this episode. What is the case that junior lawyers can make to their senior counterparts for why upgrading and updating technology makes sense if there's an actual cost involved? So I'm going to give a simplistic answer to this, but I, I still think it makes a lot of sense. I usually, in terms of my current job, I usually talk in terms of three drivers for implementing technology or new processes. Um, it either saves you money, it lowers risk, or it makes you more productive. When implementing new technology in a firm, I think that it's you've got to be talking about a combination of the cost and productivity drivers. That first argument is though, although the new technology will have a cost up front, arguably it's going to make future processes so efficient that it's going to end up saving the firm money or even making money from clients in the future. So win-win, you spend some money up front, but you spend it to make money, which leads really to the second driver. If a new technology doesn't make you or your firm more productive, more efficient, more whatever, then I'm hard-pressed to think of a reason why you should purchase it in the first place. It has to make a hard process easier or an easy process effortless. It has to reduce the time that an associate is spending on a certain task to the extent that that associate's realization rate skyrockets uh, in terms of productivity. So yes, I have not worked in a law firm for 10 years, but unless I'm way off base, I think that senior partners are still persuaded by arguments that involve saving money or making money. Um, and new technology, I think, has got the potential to do both of those things. Dennis? So I have two categories of answers. And so the first one to me is just pure raw economics, you know, and it's profitability. So what is the amount of the investment and what is the expected return? Use hard numbers, specific examples. And I think the hard numbers things is, is really an interesting thing. So if you say, if you think you're adding some new technology, then most lawyers are going to think you're talking about like, you know, $12 million for anything. And so if you can say, this is going to cost, you know, $65,000. And here's what we would expect to get out of that over one year, two year, three years, and focus on profitability, then I think that helps in, in very specific examples. And I think you want to keep the estimates 
very conservative and stay away from showing savings. So I, I agree with Tom that that argument will carry some weight and that's a, a way to think about things. But I, I think that all of us have been sold or had people try to sell us on the cost savings of different things that it just felt like we spent a lot of money and never had any cost savings to, to show for that. So I, I think there's a, a natural resistance when you say, oh, this is going to save us all this money. So if you're going to say cost savings, you need to spec it out very conservatively and very precisely. Um, that's why I like to say, here's how much more money we will make uh, over the short term by doing this. And then I, there's two non-numbers arguments that, that I think can work. And so one is showing that there are actually major clients who are using the same technology or expecting you to use that same technology, you know, especially if you've gotten some requests. So I think that there are examples in, in law firms over the years of, you know, everything from email to, to messaging to fax machines to you know, whatever, where the clients have, have driven a lot of that. So that can be good. And then law firms tend not to be first movers. So that if you can just show the other lawyers in your firm that the other law firm competitors have successfully moved to that technology, that also, I think, can carry the day. So those are my thoughts on on that. Now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip website or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So I have been for a while searching for a, I love my Tom Bin backpack. Um, it's been a great backpack, but it is kind of big. It's a large backpack and I've been looking for something a little bit smaller, a little more compact when I don't need to pack as much. And I think I finally find one that I, I'm really going to like. It's called the Peak Everyday Backpack. What I like about it is it's made of really nice material. It's not kind of the material you would expect from it. Um, it's a, a nice sturdy material. The, the top of of it has uh, magnetic latches that really connect the lid to the backpack itself that it's nice but what really sets it apart for me is is that there are zippers on each side and the zippers don't just give you access to another set of pockets which they do they actually give you access to the center of your backpack so it's another way of getting into the main area of your backpack so you can actually be carrying it on your back and say and it starts to rain you can easily just sort of flip your backpack over on the side while keeping it on your shoulder, unzip it, pull out your umbrella, zip it back up, and you're good to go. You don't have to take your backpack off your back to do it. I think it's a really unique design. That main area inside, the main space inside your backpack, they give you some dividers so you can create um, different spaces to put different things. It has a use for photographers to put cameras and lenses in those dividers. I've really just split mine in two, one for my accessories and stuff and one for a battery and an umbrella and a couple other things. Um, I really like it. It's a nice compact backpack and I'm looking forward to taking it on my first work trip in a couple of weeks. Dennis? Oh my gosh, you just reminded me that uh, I have a new day pack myself that I've been working with that I'm, I'm starting to like. It's an Osprey Daylight Plus day pack. And I don't know if you ran across that in your research, Tom, but it's like a small day pack. And um, I'm 
really intrigued with it as being the the under the seat bag for when I fly. But that's not what my parting shot is. One of the things that makes it fun to be me sometimes is the opportunities I've had over the years to get to meet and have people who are starting new legal tech businesses reach out to me and to get to know them and get to talk to them. And so early this year, a guy named Matt Volm uh, reached out to me and, and he was talking about this idea they had to use the Amazon Echo for lawyers to keep track of time and to do other things. And they were in the earliest possible stage and we talked for a while and I was, I was actually enthused about this. And they've gone on to the point where they're, they actually have a product and it's called Tally, T-A-L-I. And they have some integrations with Clio already, and I think it's it's all going to uh, come out by the time that you hear this this podcast, if it isn't already. But I've certainly seen some coverage of it. It's just a, a really cool, simple way of using the Amazon Echo voice interface or any voice interface to start with saying, "I can keep track of time." You know, to say, here's what I've done, and it kind of can learn and it tracks that. And it's, I think, a platform to do other things that will happen with simple voice commands. And it's just just one of those things that's just very appealing to me, um, not just because of, of Matt, who I really like, but it it just is a great little idea that I think has a lot of promise. And so Tally, uh, if you've ever thought of saying, hey, it'd be nice to just, instead of keeping track of timesheets and things like that, to just say what I'm doing and to have Alexa set timers and things like that. Interesting thing to explore. Voice technology, the hands-on technology for lawyers to be learning, I think, this year and next year. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find uh, show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all our previous podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email us at tkmreport or uh, visit us on LinkedIn. Uh, both Tom and Dennis have profiles on LinkedIn or, as Dennis mentioned, you can call the Kennedy Mile Report hotline Hotline at 720-441-6820. That's 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus, all brought to you by the Legal Talk Network. Help us out by giving us a rating in the Apple Podcast system and let us know what you think of the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.